Welcome to Fire of Genius, a podcast dedicated to all things intellectual property presented by the Indiana University Mauer School of Law's IP Theory Journal. My name is Megan Wheeler. I am a 3L at Mauer, and I'm the audio editor for IP Theory. On this podcast, we are pleased to be joined by Josie Little. Josie Little submitted a very interesting article to IP Theory, which will not officially be published with us, but has captured our interest and has resulted in many conversations within our IP Theory Executive Board. Josie, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Josie Little. I am a rising 3L at the University of Pennsylvania Carey Law School, and I am very interested in intellectual property. Thank you, Josie. We are delighted you agreed to join us on Fire of Genius today to discuss your note uh, entitled McRussia, The Weaponization of Intellectual Property. For our audience, would you like to give a brief summary of your submission? Of course. My paper looks at how Russia has been using its intellectual property laws as um, an aspect of war since it invaded Ukraine in February of 2022. My high level take is that the way it's used intellectual property is rather nuanced. There is some antagonistic behavior such as the um, an initial court case ruling where a Russian court wouldn't grant trademark relief to a Western country. But then there's also an aspect of self-preservation where Russia has adjusted its intellectual property laws, such as with parallel imports, as a way to help its economy survive in the face of the sanctions that it is up against as a result of its war towards Ukraine. Yeah, and so you're discussing the Peppa Pig case that you mentioned at the top of your um, your note. It seems to characterize that the at the lower court, the denial of a finding for infringement was reliant on this abuse of rights on behalf of Peppa Pig. Uh, do you want to describe that holding to our audience a little bit? Sure. So just to give some background, Entertainment One owns the Peppa Pig trademark. And if you're not familiar with Peppa Pig, it's a popular cartoon character that um, a Russian business person or entrepreneur, as he was described, was infringing the trademark, I guess, through some sort of bootleg Peppa Pig in Russia. And initially in 2021, Entertainment One was successful in suing this individual for a really small amount of money, about $500. But after the invasion of Ukraine in early 2022, and then the sanctions, the Russian court then came back and said, actually, there's no relief for this trademark infringement. We're essentially throwing it out. And they cited the sanctions by Britain and the US against Russia. And that caused a lot of confusion and concern, which is justified against um, or by outside observers of Russia. And there was the fear specifically that maybe intellectual, intellectual property rights in Russia were gone for anybody who challenged 
their behavior towards Ukraine or who punished Russia for that behavior. And I think it's sort of symbolic of the way that Russia is making rapid decisions about its intellectual property, but a lot of these decisions aren't permanent. So months later in June um, of this year, an appellate court overturned the decision and said that we are abiding by, um, or they are abiding by Russia's international agreements, such as TRIPS, where they agreed to uphold intellectual property rights. Right, and the original holding was under decree number 299. Uh, do you wanna go into a little bit how that was proposed and uh, what that what that order or legislation says? Sure. So um, the Peppa Pig decision and the Decree 299 are separate. And um, on March 6, a little bit after the Peppa Pig decision, they decided in Russia that there would be zero compensation for infringing the patent rights of IP owners who come from unfriendly countries. And being called an unfriendly country in this context isn't just uh, Russia's way of insulting you. It has an actual legal designation um, based on earlier laws that Russia has made. If you are an unfriendly country, it allows the government in Russia to introduce countermeasures against you. So that is um, the high level summary of that. And my feeling towards this is, of course, it's very antagonistic, but it's not so much a new development as an escalation, because already in Russian law, they have Article 1360, which allows the Russian government to use a patented invention for public health and national security. And the reason why I would say that this is an escalation is because previously, they had clarified Article 1360 by saying compensation for um, basically a compulsory license is 0.5%, but it became an escalation where they're saying with decree number 299, you get no compensation. And an example of that happening, um, not decree 299, but the earlier decree um, was during the COVID-19 pandemic where Russia allowed it's uh, a private company to make a generic version of remdesivir, which is owned by the US company Gilead. And it's hard to know on the outside looking at exactly how much of that generic that was made, but there's an estimate of about $52 million where Russia was paying only $270,000. So it's more like a symbolic payment in the past was made if they decided to compulsory license your patent, but they skipped the even um, nominal payment now. And we're, they're saying, we're not going to give you anything. Right. And uh, Decree 299 is supposedly to protect national security, but it seems like the definition of national security is a, a bit elusive. Is that a correct characterization? Or do you think they are going to limit that decree to those kind of guardrails? I believe that there is an issue with the national security designation, and it may be insulting on some level because they sort of caused this national security situation by harming others. 
So there's that aspect of it. But there's, I think, perhaps people in the Russian government who are playing a, a long-term view, and then there's a short-term view. A short-term view would be, I guess, a very lax definition of national security and public health. But if there's a long-term view, you have to think in Russia, how are people going to trust them going forward if they think that they will disregard patent rights so very easily? And so that aspect of it perhaps could be somewhat of a check to them using the law in a way that may seem frivolous. But outside looking in, I'm not able to find evidence that they're using Decree 299, which does not mean that it doesn't exist, but that I haven't seen it be publicized. Right, right. And so aside from 299 and 360, you discuss a bit about another um, another Russian policy that is being implemented called uh, parallel importing. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't fall under Decree 299 or Article 1360, correct? That's a separate policy? You're correct. That's a separate policy. And basically what, what the parallel imports law does is it allows Russia to have a workaround for the financial situation it's facing, where Apple is no longer selling its products Reebok, you can't get their shoes there anymore. Stanley, Black & Decker. There's a list of about 253 companies that have completely cut Russia off and aren't sending their things there anymore. So what that has caused is prices to go up as the competition in their marketplace thins down. And so the parallel imports allows Russia to go, for example, maybe to Belarus, maybe to India, buy an iPhone there buy a refrigerator there and import it into Russia. And the trademark owner of Apple, of Reebok, has no say in the matter. It does not matter that they do not want their goods in Russia. That is what Russia is doing to prop up its own economy in regards to intellectual property. Right. And you said in your article that it is estimated that the market for counterfeit sales in Russia generates $50 billion a year, which is a, a, a huge amount of money to to not participate in for these brands. And it, it certainly seems like controlling their brands in Russia is now almost obsolete. Do you think this is sort of a lose-lose situation overall for the brands and for Russia as well? Or, or do you think the, the brands that have pulled out of Russia are you know, have evaluated that economic decision that, you know, supply chain is just unfeasible for them uh, in Russia at this point? I think that there's a lot of pressure on brands, not just Western brands, but any brand um, doing business in Russia to cease your operational activities as a symbolic gesture. And so I think that they will cut off that activity regardless of whether they profit or don't profit from that decision. But the parallel imports decision makes it 
perhaps less of an impactful decision because Russia is basically saying we're going to get the Apple Watch somehow so you can either cooperate with them or not cooperate with them. And it is, I think, meant to sort of apply pressure towards these brands because every so often they have a list of the brands that they're going to do this to. And you can perhaps get off the list by agreeing to resume business in Russia. So I think they're sort of punching up in a way because they don't have the same economic power as the United States and all of these countries withdrawing their business from them. But what they can do is these sort of like antagonistic coercive things with like their parallel imports list. Mm-hmm. And it seems like in some cases, uh, such as the McDonald's case, which you talk about, mm-hmm. uh, some some brands have just decided to sell off their franchises entirely so long as they're not using the trademark intellectual property. Is that sort of a correct characterization, you think, or is that a separate issue? I think that is an accurate characterization that these laws, the parallel imports, they don't have to directly mention a business for a business to think, wait a minute, what's happening? Is this going to happen to me? Maybe it's better perhaps to just come to some sort of agreement or a sale. Uh, The French car company, Renault, did uh, something similar where they've just given up their stakes to uh, Russia. So yes, it, it is impacted by that. And I'm happy to talk more about the McDonald's issue because I think that is pretty uh, fascinating. Yeah, please, please continue with the McDonald's issue. So McDonald's was one of the first big companies after the Soviet Union fell to enter the Russian marketplace. And so symbolically, it's sort of representing Russia is not isolated from the West anymore by having these McDonald's franchises. And so after the invasion of Ukraine, McDonald's initially said that they were going to cease operations of, I think it was over 800 McDonald's locations in Russia. And then eventually the ceasing of operations became they're not going to operate there at all. And this caused panic, I think, for the Russian government, both optically and worrying about consumers and goods and prices going up, as we discussed with the parallel imports law. And so a Russian member of parliament made the suggestion that they should basically co-opt all of the McDonald's locations and put the name um, Uncle Vanya's. And Uncle Vanya is a character from uh, Chekhov plays. So it has some meaning to them that it doesn't to us. So basically just kind of take over their intellectual property. And that caught a lot of attention in the Western media. And it sort of gained credency when there was a trademark application that was published in Russia. It was for restaurant services It was for the Uncle Vanya name, and it basically had the golden arches, but just tips uh, 90 degrees to the right. And so it just looked like a very blatant, lazy use of trademark infringements. Well, as we said earlier, 
that ended up not happening because McDonald's sold to the largest franchise owner of the McDonald's stores in Russia. They have a new name. They have a new logo. Uh, you can look at it. It's supposed to be two fries and a burger. It kind of looks like the letter M, but I guess I assume McDonald's was okay with that. And they do not have the right to use any of the McDonald's trademarks. So in some ways, that's a little bit more similar of an outcome as the French car brand Renault. Uh, and so it's kind of an interesting sort of settlement that happens there uh, in response to these laws, huh? Yes, it definitely puts pressure on them, whether it directly names them or not. And then also another law is looming in the background here. It's the what Russia calls external management, which the United States would probably call just nationalization, where they have a draft of this law that is open to the public. And it is saying that for companies that do a substantial amount of business in Russia, again, what that means is a little bit hard to define. If they cut their operations, suddenly with no what they consider no legitimate justification, then Russia has the option to take them over temporarily in order to keep the economy in that area running. And so it has not become advanced from the draft legislation to enactments, but I believe that this possibility floating in the air is also something that is going to lead brands like McDonald's, like Renault, to say, we're going to come to sort of an agreement on our terms, rather than face some sort of hostile takeover from the Russian government. Yeah, I thought that was a, a very aggressive bill. I looked it up prior to our conversation to see if it had moved, and it, it does not seem like it has. But um, for any of our listeners, that's bill number 92282-8. Um, and yeah, I thought, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if that passes. I'm definitely going to be keeping my ear to the ground on that one. Um, well, those are all my questions I have for you today, Josie. Uh, it's been delightful to speak with you and um, hear more about this very relevant issue um, that is very interesting. We think of intellectual property on an eco economic basis all the time, but it's interesting to consider it as an economic wartime tactic, um, which we'd seen with sanctions, but I, I don't think I personally have ever considered it in terms of intellectual property um, myself. So I, I was delighted to read it and I thank you so much for um, speaking with us today. I'd love to give you the last word if you have anything else you'd like to add about your note. It is a pleasure to speak with you about this issue. Who knows what is going to happen in the future? I think some of these laws may be intended to be a threat, perhaps only, because as I've said before, how do you come back from these decisions? If you, for example, if they had taken over McDonald's, what country is going to invest in them in the future? It, it would be very difficult but it's still, um, it's still possible. So um, I am interested to see what will happen in the future and I've really enjoyed this conversation.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Fire of Genius. You can follow us on Twitter at at C-I-P-R-Mauer-I-P-T-H or reach out to us on our website at iptheory.indiana.edu. Thank you for listening and we hope you tune in again for our next episode.